Welcome to the show where three friends rate, debate, and investigate the films you'll love to see and hate to see. This is You'll Love to See It. Welcome back to another episode of You Love to See It. Caleb, how are you doing today? Oh, great. You just had a delicious dinner. One of the biggest meals of my life. Late night dinner, but it's still dinner. Hey, they don't know what time it is. It's okay. Late. They don't know what time it is. It's exactly 9.07 and 32 seconds, I think. Oh my God. They don't know AM or PM, though. Eric, how you doing? <laughs> just said it's a late. <laughs> yeah. How you doing, Eric? I'm doing. You're doing. I'm doing. All right. Well, sad podcast opening today. <laughs> We're all very sad. Well, unfortunately, unfortunately, I uh, I do have, or fortunately, oh my God, I do have a great question to kind of start to judge. start <laughs> start this discussion on today's movie, uh, Nomadland. Um, so before we get to Nomadland, uh, let's start with the question. Now, my question for you is, what is your favorite documentary or docu-series? Interesting. Why don't you go first? Because I, I'm going to need I'm, I'm going to need a sec. Okay. I'll actually go first. Um, this is just the one that first popped off my head. And I, I'm going to extend this by saying it doesn't have to be 100% nonfiction. If that makes sense. So, for instance, what I'm going to say so, is that... So I, so I don't need to think anymore. <laughs> um, what I'm going to say is... It, mine is not, is not not nonfiction. It's just that it's it's not a 100% accurate depiction. Um, so I'm going to go with a docu-series. And it's I've watched it like three times over the last year. And it's uh, The People versus O.J. Simpson. I literally love that series so much. I know it's not a movie... It's only like nine, I think, hour-long episodes or something like that. So maybe just a really long movie. But um, the reason I actually thought about this morning is because I was reading about the main actress who, who's now, whose name is now going to escape me. Um, if someone else can find it, I, I, I will thank them. But um, I was just reading about her this morning, some of the other things she's been in. And then I was like, oh, and obviously we we're talking about Nomadland. And I thought... It's a great movie or series, and I really enjoyed it. I'm glad you liked it, Zach. <laughs> Thank you. I yeah, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um. Okay. I don't want to take Eric's, so I'll I'll just as far as um, kind of fiction, kind of nonfiction, documentary, drama hybrids go. I'm not super well versed. Uh, one I I do remember I I have some some memory of is American Animals, which I didn't really like. <laughs> or I liked the the drama parts, and I thought the the documentary element was completely unnecessary and and really took away from the film. Uh, also, The Imposter is an interesting one. Um, uh, about a a kidnapping and return but maybe the return 
is not actually of the kidnapped boy. So in, it's that's an interesting movie. Uh, I, it's actually very well liked, I think, but it wasn't my favorite. My favorite documentary, the only documentary I have on Letterboxd where you can find me at CB, <laughs> four stars or higher is four stars, uh, is Bob Dylan, Don't Look Back. Well, classic. Mm, yeah, which I, I saw at the Arrow Theater in Los Angeles uh, a while back. And I think that really just gets at the heart of Dylan without trying to uh, intellectualize or, uh, you know, explore as a typical movie would. They really just watch. They, they observe. And I think that w- that's a great choice for a, a character, real life character like Dylan. Caleb, I have a question for you. Yes? Did you watch Close Up? No. Oh, because you said you didn't want to take mine, and I was like, it's Close Up. Yeah, no, I know. I just oh. did, I didn't want to say say the rider either because oh, we are okay. talking. Uh... Yeah. Um, if we count Close Up as a documentary, then it's Close Up, which is probably in my top five of all time. And that's very top similar to the rider. Top five of all time. Where it's characters, in this case, a man named Hossein Sabzian, all playing themselves in the past. Um, and in this case, yeah, Hossein Sabzian pretends to be the famous director, Mohsen Makhmalbaf, and he essentially tricks another family into thinking that he is this famous director and directing them in a movie. And it's about, like, sort of the process of that, the process of filming the movie, as well as, like, the trial scene, um, the trial of Hossein Makhmalbaf. Um, I'm not going to get into too many specifics, but it's pure cinema, like amazing. Um, other documentaries I like, Minding the Gap from 2018, amazing. Um, the Act of Killing, also sort of a fact fiction sort of tale um, about, shoot, I forgot which country it did, it is. But um, it is about the, I think it's the Indonesian genocide from the mid to late 1900s. And um, Joshua Oppenheimer goes to the, essentially the people who enacted the genocide and came out on top and are still alive and well today and has them reenact, essentially them committing genocide on for like a fantastical TV stage. It's terrifying it's a hard watch for sure but it's very powerful and very conflicting all right i think uh i think those were some good documentaries slash what is is there is that a category like documentary fiction documentary but somewhat real docufiction <laughs> docufiction uh Fiction. is it actually if not yeah, we docu- should I, i've heard of docufiction docu- okay well I guess we should start getting to uh, the movie of the week, uh, Nomadland, and it's. Uh, I guess it fits in the is uh, docu fiction or more like. I think this skews more towards fiction. You think so? There's elements of, like, this is in my mind, fiction with elements of documentary put in. Okay, I think that's fair enough to say. I mean, even though most of the cast is are are real people, it is the main cast members, obviously not. 
And then neither is... David Stern. Yes. I don't know if that... Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name, so I'm sorry, but... Um, yeah. Yes. But uh, so I guess, yeah, it definitely is <laughs> fiction with some just tiny little components. But it, it also, I mean, we'll talk about this. It obviously feels a lot, virtually in my eyes, like a documentary. Um, but yeah, let's get into it. Uh, so yeah, this week, we uh, in, our, in our little garage, we watched... Oh, actually, no, we, we, I guess we moved to the TV room. But uh, we watched Nomadland. And what was it? Start building a mental image of the residence at which we are staying. Yes. Yeah. We're on, we, you <laughs> know, we are, we are on an island. <laughs> there is a garage and a TV room. <laughs> More clues to come next week. It's true. You can find us our GPS location. Um, what film? And it's nighttime. <laughs> what film festival did we watch this through? New York Film Festival. This is by director Chloe Zhao, and it is the centerpiece. I think this is her third feature film and it's making some waves and actually it actually won a few awards before it in did. the last it won the golden, the golden line at venice and it won i think people's choice at tiff um and i know there was more usually film festivals slated right like i think she was talking about how there was some more that she planned on showing the movie that aren't happening I don't know if there's another big one. Maybe it was playing at Telluride. I don't know. It was. That's what it was. Yeah. That's what I Telluride saw. Telluride got canceled. Um, and people were expecting it to do very well there as well. Um, but yeah, I guess let's get into it. Eric, would you like to give us a little quick uh, synopsis uh, of the film? Well, yes. Um, in the movie, Frances McDormand plays Fern McDormand. And she is a woman from a city called Empire who's main source of production and main source of labor, a huge sheetrock company um, has completely just fallen apart in the um, aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis. And in, as a result, her zip code disappears um, and she is rendered houseless, as she calls it. And um, essentially what she does is instead of trying to find another job, or trying to move somewhere, she decides to go on this sort of American odyssey, living with these nomads, traveling throughout the American heartland. Um, and she meets various characters, including um, Swanky, um, an old nomad, an old nomad. She meets um, Linda May, her friend, who sort of introduces her to the group, as well as. Um, as well as a romantic interest. And it's this very sort of melancholic yet feel-good complex, like, yeah, sort of like drifting American odyssey through the American heartland. Well, that is a great synopsis. And uh, I, I have a lot to talk about today, actually. I, I wrote down some questions for both of you, uh, just for all, all three of us, actually. But uh, I guess to me, let's start at the very beginning at something that is obviously very noticeable. And I also saw uh, several kind of reviews talking about this. Um, the, the intro, which had the kind of just graphical card of uh, what was it that the sheetrock industry basically – went under something like I, well, I don't remember exactly what the thing was that said it was that in empire the sheetrock company uh like became bankrupt and then the zip code went away yeah um how do you feel with a, with a film starting you off that way like i think 
it seems like such a simple thing, but I feel like it can it, it's it's a big difference compared to maybe just being like set into um, a film with no, I guess, context. But did you feel as though that was notable in any way? I mean, obviously, besides this, the context reason. Um, I mean, it sets the tone, first of all. But I don't think it. I don't think that was something that I necessarily thought a lot about as I was watching afterwards. But I do think it sets the movie in a very specific time and place and a very specific reality that is true for a lot of people and was for a lot of people right after 2008. Yeah, I think it's just about that. Uh, The movie goes for a it's a hyper realistic approach and to give this very specific context that you know anyone who is watching it uh, they've lived through um kind of gets at the the hearts of the audience pretty quickly and allows them to connect i think more with the the hyper realistic approach um because we we do know what the reality of that situation was. So I've already kind of told you both that I um that I really enjoyed this film and uh you know obviously we'll get to ratings <laughs> down the line but um I felt one of the reasons was because I felt myself connecting with a lot of the characters even very minor ones um if only because they seemed relatable. Um, we talked a lot about characters last week in, in Kaufman. You know, we're not going to compare Nomadland to uh, I'm Thinking of Ending Things. But I'm actually curious, Caleb, how did you feel this movie, you know, very different films. Uh, I won't be the first to admit that. But do you felt like the characters were very relatable? Do you felt like they were they felt personal? And how did that draw you in? Certainly personal. Uh, and I, I assume... Because these most characters are playing fictionalized versions of themselves, that there is a lot of reality in them, and I think that came across in very naturalistic performances. These aren't actors; these are people playing themselves, and and that immediately sets you uh, on the personal path. And yeah, I think the writing does a good job of getting you to connect to these people, although, or I should say, despite the fact that obviously, you know, none of us sitting here have, have gone through the, the plot, the situations that they've been through, and, and most of the, the audience uh, probably has not uh, lived the life of a nomad. Uh, but I do think that... Uh, Zhao is very specific in her writing and, you know, something universal grows from that. Yeah, I also think she does a great job directing non-actors. You saw it in The Writer where Brady Jandro gives maybe like a top 10 performance of the decade playing himself. Wow! Um, (laughs) And you see it here too. Like every single one of these nomads, like Linda May like swanky they all feel so so authentic even though there are like fictionalized um they're like slightly fictionalized versions of themselves and i think that 
goes a long way. I think, like, the most special part of this movie that, like, makes you... The part where, like, I think I really relate to the character in this movie is that, like, really special moment when you, like, realize, like, oh, like, they're talking about this from real, like, real emotional experience. And I think that does a lot of work. And I, yeah, Chloe Zhao is amazing. Yeah, and, you know, we were just talking, Eric, right before this, that um, Chloe Zhao, who directed this, and uh, The Rider, which you really like, and is, is similar, correct, to Nomadland in some way? And is, it, is it a... Yeah, this is how she works. Um, in Songs My Brother Taught Me, and uh, her, like, which was her feature debut, which was in, who oh, I want to say 2015. It premiered at Cannes, as well as The Rider, which came out in 2018, those two movies were both set in South Dakota on a Native American reservation, um, and they all starred people that she met there because she, as she was, I think, living there for significant portions of her life. Um, and this movie is, and this movie is very much so in the same way. She likes to use non-actors, people who have like lived through the experience. Um, very naturalistic, definitely very much in the same vein. Well, and then as uh, I was saying before, what we were talking about was about how she will now be doing uh, directing a movie uh, in the Marvel universe, and it's interesting the versatility to create movies like this, and to do something like that just seems. Yeah, that's like a that's something I've been thinking about. It's like, am I excited? Am I excited for her to do that, or am I sad about it? Like on one hand, she I think. Very much so said that she, the movie she got from the Eternals, the sorry, the money she got from the Eternals essentially helped fund Nomadland. But on the flip side, is going into the Marvel machine like a waste of her talent when she could be making something more exciting? Um, I think that's an interesting question, especially now that she's won the Golden Lion. She's probably the biggest Marvel director to ever direct a Marvel. Like, she's probably the biggest director to ever direct a Marvel movie. Yeah, I mean... We or were, at least the most critically acclaimed. And we were talking about just her directing in this movie. And I'm actually curious, Caleb, I mean, not to put you on the spot again, but, and maybe it's impossible to compare, compare, but these are two movies in a row. Last week's I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and then this week's Nomadland, with two uh, directors who did possibly a award-winning job. Do you Could you compare them at all? Like, is that a lot to ask of you to say who you thought directed their movie better? Or is that... Yeah, that's that's <laughs> a pretty challenging question, uh, considering how different the movies are and how different they want to be. Uh, so yeah, I don't think it's really fair to They're attempt so to compare good. them. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Kaufman really excelled in atmosphere and tension and sound which I didn't actually mention, I don't think, last week. Um, that the, the sound in there was stupendous. And here, like Eric mentioned, uh, Zhao is, is really an actor's director here and certainly allows the actors to flourish. Um, and, you know, when you're working with non-professional actors, I think that work cannot be understated. Yeah, Drow also just also just has a really great eye for natural landscapes. I think that's Oh, the movie was beautiful. I mean yeah. it was it was I think she manages to um I think I mean she has a very clear 
she has stated before very clearly that she is very influenced by Malik. And I think she she does manage to get some of those really beautiful, kinetic, like, almost, like, spiritual, natural shots. But she, like, I think she does something different. She, something about her style and, like, the way she works with her documentary-like um, process really grounds her work. And it's a very, it's just a completely different dynamic from what Kaufman does. I, I think it's almost impossible to compare. So that being said, do you think, you know, again, we uh, talked about Oscars earlier and it's way too early, but do you think she has a chance to either earn a nomination or win an award for this film? I think with the buzz that this has been getting, plus the fact that this is, Fox Searchlight is now part of the Disney machine. True. Um, I think she has a, I think she has a shot. Zach, if you were an Oscar voter <laughs> and you were voting for best director and the top two choices were Charlie Kaufman for I'm Thinking of Ending Things and Chloe Zhao for the ri- or excuse me, for Nomadland. <laughs> and the writer, but not for uh, who would you pick as your best director? So you're asking me to pick. You're the voter. I'm the voter? You're the voter. Um I think <laughs> I'm gonna be honest, I don't know if I really have the expertise to be judging. You're the a, voters, a, a Zach. Director, As a voter, do you want to like be my referral? I'm to gonna get say. Me <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say that it would be Chloe Zhao, um, who I pick, and maybe that's because as much as I was hyping up, I'm thinking of anything's last week, which I really enjoyed. I enjoyed this movie more because I felt like it just put me in a trance, um, and it was just, and I, I think that's how I was supposed to feel. Um, I felt like the camera work was personal i felt like everything felt very personal even like just the visions and the landscapes uh, i don't know maybe that's weird to say but it felt it just felt more personal than perhaps kaufman's did but again i i guess i can't really compare either but i would pick and why did you ask me <laughs> all right well i was asking because i don't know maybe you're a little bit more you know studious in that area uh, you know you you're a, you're a fellow director so you can judge other directors you know what i'm saying Thank you. Sight and sound 2022. Let's go. That'll be uh, – are we going to do a podcast review of that? <laughs> Maybe just me and Eric. Uh, that's a little tangent. But, um, okay, let's get back to Nomadland. Um, how did you feel about the pacing? And um, I think it was a very – is it fair to say it was a slower movie? Definitely. Um, I don't feel like it is as uh, – Actually, I don't know if I'm thinking of anything as this fast paced, but I almost wanted to say it was only because there's so much happening. Um, but in this movie, I feel I like. I think in a traditional sense, just because of the way it's structured, it doesn't really have a plot. Yeah. I guess you could that's say fair. Nomadland is slow. Like, I, I personally don't find it slow, but yeah. I mean, that's true. It, there is no plot. What, what, we were talking about that at one point. I forgot if someone asked like what the plot was, and then the whole point, they were like, what is the point of a movie with no plot? And. Yeah. It's our good friend Sam Zuber, <laughs> who we should have mentioned during the documentary section. Why is that? Because he loves his documentaries. Yeah, he really That's does. true. He does. He does. I wonder what his favorite is. Um, he's, a, he's a big Troy. fan of Icarus. <laughs> oh, Icarus. Icarus yeah. makes sense. Wow, we are going off on many tangents today. But um... a Bobby Kennedy <laughs> documentary he likes. <laughs> We should have so just had Sam Zuckin in here watch, for this watch episode. Watch that Bobby Kennedy documentary if you're looking for a documentary on Bobby Kennedy. He watched the whole movie with us, didn't he? He did. I wonder what did he, he thought of this. Or was that? 
<laughs> we okay, so we watched this with a bigger <laughs> grouping than just Caleb, Eric, and myself, um, and we're not talking about that audience <laughs> instead of the movie. Uh, although we do have a lot to say about the movie, but uh, I know Socket left, and uh, just like Socket throwing people under yeah, the he bus. Insists he loves and it, then though. and then Sam. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if he fell asleep either, but, uh, you know, he, I think he said three, three and a half stars, what he was going to give it. Um, which also you changed your review, Eric. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I'm just, you know, I'm not, you know, we're not saying anything yet, but, uh, I, uh, I looked last night and Eric's review was different from what I just looked like 30 minutes ago. So how peculiar I am interested to hear his reasoning. Um, all right, let's get back to the movie. Um, what was your favorite part about the movie? Or was there anything that kind of stood out to you that really clicked and like um, made you feel like you enjoyed it? Two things. The first is just, as always, just that blend of documentary and fiction. It's such a specific tension that I love seeing on screen. And it's moments like... Um, there's a similar scene in The Rider where all of these cowboys gather around a fire and they're jumping over the fire and like singing and they like suddenly slow down and it almost essentially turns into a talking head interview of all of them every single one of these cowboys talking about how they've been injured while riding their rodeo horses and it's this beautiful moment where like the spiritual and the real like come together there's a very similar scene in nomadland too where all these nomads are around the fire talking about how, like, essentially the economic situation of the U.S. has led them to becoming nomads and, like, telling their stories. And I think the movie's, I think, authenticity plus the movie's, I think, true empathy towards these characters and that you understand the, like, sadness that, like, all of this is rooted in and, like, the reasons that like people become nomads but also that like these people do like in like find a lot of things to appreciate about their lives this movie i think walks a very delicate balance of really treating these people as real humans who can who have like agency and can make their own choices and i think that brings me to the second thing that really stood out which is francis mcdormand's performance which is just incredible um i caleb is oscar worthy um like like rubbing his face right now because he was going to talk about it so i'm going to speak a little less but i think she is very expressive while being very unexpressive and very unobtrusive and you can just tell she loves working with these non-actors i think it's very moving i'm gonna let caleb talk about uh the second part but i want to talk about your first point actually just briefly and that is I felt like this movie just had a lot of feeling throughout it. Like that, that sounds so weird to say, but the scenes that like were meant to convey sadness or happiness or grieving really felt real. Um, like, and, I, and the fact that I can remember so many of them to me makes it even more like something that's stuck and like feels real. So like you know you got funny scenes like like the one where they're talking about the uh, the poop buckets, uh, just like little things like that, and then you have you know like very sad scenes like uh, you know kind of at her house uh, or her sister's house, which I guess is sad and a combination of other things. But uh, and then one of the final scenes 
with um, them putting the rocks in for the fire for Swanky. It's just there's so much – there's so many memorable moments from from a film that felt like it was filled with a lot of, like, empty space. And I don't mean empty space in a negative sense, but I felt like it was almost like a journey within itself. Like, there was just these times where it was just, like, there was just kind of the scenery, the landscape, a more kind of, like, soothing vibe to it. And then it is filled with these little memorable pockets. Um of stories or things like that, like like the uh, the scenes where they had all the uh, people, the nomads together in the in the fire pit or next in the fire next to the fire. Um, great scenes, and I felt like there were a lot of them. So, yeah. Caleb, I, I sorry, just to yeah, go ahead, sort sorry. of add like I guess just to like like synthesize the feeling this movie gives. It's like it's feel good without losing sight of the sadness, and it's sad without being like victimizing maybe oh 100 percent. yeah and 100%, i think that's 100%. that's the like really nice balance it treads francis mcdormand <laughs> i hope she wins the oscar i would love it i was gonna i asked uh, you think this is oscar you think she could win this i don't know what obviously if, uh, what her competition. she recently won like two years ago so i three years ago for, for three billboards. Yeah, that was 2017. 2017. Mm-hmm. I still so haven't seen three billboards. Two or three years ago. So I, I don't know if they'd give her another one. Especially since it would be her third, too. So we'll see. If ah, the politics of the yeah, Oscar. I'm sure we'll have an Oscar episode later on in the year. <laughs> next year. Or, or, or next, year. next year. Or <laughs> I'll return and get all my picks correct again. You didn't get them all right, did you? I don't, I don't know about I, that. Hang on. Do you have the receipts for this? I got very few right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I think maybe Eric was the one that got the most. Anyways, back to you. Frances McDormand does not make this movie. She is this movie. Uh, the writing, as I mentioned, you know, creates some nice moments that, as I said, have some universal qualities to them that make them special. The directing, as we talked about, is very strong, especially with uh, Zhao's work with the non-professional actors. But this movie is nothing without Frances McDormand, who just gives a, an absolutely, absolutely stellar performance, a performance where she listens uh, more than she speaks, where she is oftentimes it seems it feels completely naked and you just sometimes she is completely uh, naked also true 100% true you are correct um and it just she kind of just strips everything away and i realize what i re- <laughs> i'm talking emotionally here emotionally strips everything away to give a complete a comprehensive take on I don't want to say a simple person um, but a person who is doing simple things who is just trying to continue with her life to make the most of it without doing the most it is just unbelievable how she is able to wring so much emotion out of 
someone who is just in the process of simple, and again, I mean that in, in a more literal sense, uh, discovery. Yeah, I, I gotta agree. Like, there's something really special when you can just see Frances McDormand watching these people tell their stories and just all the emotion in her face. And also that you can see, like, she very genuinely, like, is very, very, like, happy to be getting to know these people and be having this, this connection with them. Um, I, yeah, it's my favorite performance of the year. <laughs> like, she, easily. She really captures the empathy that the movie uh, attempts to provoke. I think it's also, like, I, sort of goes to what, goes to back to what I was saying. You also, like, she is someone who is, like, self-destructive in a way. Like when she, um, mm-hmm. when that she can't stay with him, she can't, she has like problems with committing pretty, like in, in a very, um, simplified way of saying she has problems with committing to people. Um, but that does, that never leaves sight of the fact that she's a very like empathetic person and it's still like, oof, this is going nowhere. This, no. this is like, I, I don't know that she's. She, I think she is a complex individual. Like she, she's out there living this life, drifting around the world, and there's sadness to it. There's happiness to it. But in, and like, as much as she says she, um, I don't know where I'm going with this actually. But no, I I, I completely understand what you're saying, <clears throat> and I think to me, there's just like there's a lot of depth to the character and. What I mean by that is there's just, you know, I, I don't know at certain points whether to be, like, really, like, happy for this person or sad for this person and almost, like, what they feel. You know, like, there's a really good quote that obviously I think is maybe a main message of this movie, like, the whole, um, and I guess the universe. What, what, what am I trying to say? Uh, <laughs> the uh, university. <laughs> Universality? universality <laughs> oh man um and it's that is the, <laughs> the quote um i'm not homeless i'm houseless i think it's something like that right and this idea of you know the like i guess a classic like you know the home is where the heart is but like you know it's interesting that this this character you almost like you at first you like want them to find a home and then you realize that when they are settled down, when she's settled down, she doesn't feel like she's at home. Yeah. And I don't know. There's a, there's a, there's a lot of messages in there, um, but it also just it, it feels like a very complex person in that sense. Yeah, I was curious about what you guys thought about a- the, like use of Amazon in the movie, and that they're in like a real Amazon facility filming. Yeah, um, I. Are you? I guess I, I'm trying to decide whether or not the film is trying to paint a negative picture. I mean, I guess I feel like there is a negative association. This, uh, there's. I mean, obviously, I was going to talk about the cyc- cyclical nature of like you see her go from working on Amazon, and then you see like, kind of where she works throughout the next year until it gets back to the point where she's working at Amazon, and you're supposed to guess obviously that this she's basically wandering around the country working different jobs as she goes throughout the year you know, traveling north and then south when it's cold, back north like the nomads. And I 
I don't know. I don't, I, I thought it was I, – I really liked it because it felt more real and it feels like – I mean, I that does happen. Like, you know, yeah. people that only get hired for this limited amount of time and they don't make amazing money but they do these tasks that, you know, are just like hard labor basically. So – Yeah, I definitely think it was meant to be a – a negative presentation uh, of Amazon simply because she's disposable to them. Um, and, you know, no human being should be disposable. Uh, I think there, there are a few anti-capitalist uh, or examples of anti-capitalist commentary. Uh, for example, when uh, Fern is in the campsite and we have this really long tracking shot of, of her against the landscape with the, the score playing behind. And you think it's going to keep going forever or you think it's going to, you know, end when the music ends and, you know, a sunset and it's going to be very picturesque and smooth. And then suddenly the music cuts out and the sound is just little go-kart things. I don't know, mm -hmm. maybe like, Hum. Yeah, there's like a lot in Montana that are associated with like, yeah, like, like they're expensive to rent or buy. Yeah, and they just like come in and then dominate the sound and steal focus in the frame. And you realize that, you know, this isn't just some picturesque presentation that the the magic of that moment uh, encounters interference. And, and that interference is, you know, the outside world dominated by money. And that's sadly takes precedence over the beauty that was the focus. I do I do think the more I think about it, not even the more I think about it, I think this movie is got some very obvious anti-capitalist like undertones. Um, do you think that added to it or do you think that I don't know, like obviously uh, I don't or do you, do you disagree that it doesn't really have I I don't know if I would say it's it's definitely not capitalist. <laughs> I mean, I that's think, true. I think a lot of the... I, I would say it's... I don't know if I would go as far as to say it's like outright anti-capitalist. It's just the reality of the situation that capitalism and everything in 2008 brought them to this situation. And it's just like the harsh reality that like capitalism is what got all of them what turned all of them houseless, like. But even, like, what about even the idea that you can kind of, you don't need a house, like, you don't need these materials. All you need is your van and, and you know, the road, basically. Like, there's, I mean, there's something, I guess, yeah. definitely not typical capitalist, yeah. you know, ideas of materializing wealth and, you know, buying a house, you know, the the, the normal, you know, what yeah. we may call normal. I mean, even the scene when she's at her sister's and you can tell how out of place she feels. Mm -hmm. Like, there's definitely something there that's yeah. critical of yeah. I think, society. I think in the movie, essentially, every single roadblock she faces is because of money. Um, like, when she, like, gets her tires, um, when her tire breaks and she has to get a spare tire, she has to, like, um, she has to, um, she has to ask Swanky for money, and when she realizes she needs to get a new van, she needs to go back, meet her sister, and ask for money, and it, I think it, I, you know, I do think, never mind, I do agree with you, after you said that, yeah, I think this is anti-capitalist, um, 
but um it's also just like it's so enmeshed with the reality it's it, it doesn't scream at you i guess i would agree yeah it definitely doesn't seem i, I mean maybe it's obvious or maybe it's just like you said, maybe it is just reality. Like that's just the reality. This is the true story of people who live like this. These are not, these are not the people. These are not like a very few amount of people. There are, I would say, probably thousands and thousands of people that live like, maybe not live out of you know like going around the country in their vans, but definitely work and live similar lives. You know, in in, in some retrospect. Yeah, I mean, in a way, these are groups that the system has failed. And we're getting to, like, even in through, like, a semi-fictionalized portrait, we're getting to meet some of them, I think, in a very real, very empathetic, and very humanizing way. So let me, before I, before I ask what you didn't like or what your thought were, like what you felt held the movie back. I want to ask one question and maybe this is something that was good for you or bad for you or just meh for you. And that is the inclusion of the romantic interest. Um, do you felt like it, you know, it's another, it's a character that I don't know if it's supposed to be real. It's from it's, the book. Oh, it is from the book. Yeah. But um, the actor was not real, right? That was the one actor that wasn't real or the other yeah, one. He also was not real, but in, in a way, like, um, keeping on with the sort of documentary thing, when we go to meet his family and Fern goes to their house, those people, like, the daughter that Fern talks to is actually his daughter. Oh, wow. Yeah, and his son is yeah. his son. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay, I didn't know that. Wow, that's kind of crazy. Um, do you felt like, it, what, do you feel like it added anything in particular? Or do you just felt it was, like, obviously a good part of the, just a, another part of the story? Um, I think it added some meat to the plot, importantly um because there there isn't much plot and if you take that out if you if you take out that relationship then the story might be a little thin yeah fern's um, sort of a cipher otherwise yeah. I mean, it's definitely not even a traditional relationship like it doesn't yeah. seem like fern yeah, is it's, ever it's really it's not really f- forcing this heavy romance on no, you no, it's yeah. just it's just I don't know, I see it as, as another relationship first, like Swanky, like mm-hmm. Linda May, but it has its own spin and, and you yeah. know, it happens to be one th- where there is potential for romance. Yeah, I think I was a little less positive on it just because I felt like we had so much of the movie spent on them. I think we probably had a good like quarter to a third of the movie spent on them and that to me felt like time spent not on the like nomads who I personally felt were more interesting. I think I think even from a writing standpoint, I could feel that that part was fictionalized and I think that was one of the areas where because it's a literary adaptation and that some of those parts were obviously from a book that I felt a disconnect. Yeah, um, that's fair to say. I I mean, do But you... I also don't object like conceptually from a big picture idea of the fact that she has this romantic interest. Did you feel like, um, you know, and obviously there's different moments throughout the movie where they keep finding each other. You know, it seems by accident. Do you feel like it was uh, like unrealistic or do you think it was just, I mean, was that just a. You know, that happens in movies. <laughs> I think that's pretty re- Like all these people, they know what time of year where they're going to be. They have these places where they're going to go. Like at least in the world of the movie. I don't think it's that far-fetched that they would keep running into each other. 
like I think near the end of the movie, I'm forgetting his name, but the original like campsite leader sort of says that um, he's talking about goodbyes and he says like he'll always see them again, like um, whether it's in the afterlife or whether it's like with every year, or, like every couple years, like or in like a decade. And I I don't think it's that far fetched that maybe like it's far fetched the frequency in which they run into each other, but the fact that they run into each other. I don't think is that out there. I think in terms of literary things that annoyed me more, perhaps it was the... Um, the poetry. The, the poetry and also I, even like less than less so than the Shakespeare because that's like a fairly common... Like, every, like a lot of people know that, know that sonnet. It's more the fact that she like, oh, this is the exact person that she like gave a cigarette to and she like just so happens to meet him again. That feels a lot more literary, especially when that character is not really like a... It feels more really forced like yeah. than perhaps it a feels guy more forced. It felt almost like some contrivance from 1917 or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, unnecessary. <laughs> I didn't know we'd be roasting that movie today. Wow. Um, what do you think, Caleb? I think, you know, that happens in movies. What's the alternative? You know, you're just going to... She's going to find no one and you're just going to follow her by herself the whole time. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was obviously more realistic than them, like, traveling together. Like, you, yeah, yeah so like, yeah. you knew that. Yeah, and it's important to the plot because he's the one, and again, this is going to sound sexual, and it's not, <laughs> but he is the one that gets her into a bed, uh, which I think is, is an important moment for her to, it's a moment of reckoning for her. Like, can she live in this real uh-huh. uh Quote, real he is this force trying world. to like hold her down yeah almost. or or is she going to be you know on the road forever yeah you know and interestingly enough is it a hundred percent a positive thing like like she obviously i mean she ends up leaving the house like she doesn't want to be trapped i mean like she kind of views him as like almost i don't know like i mean she's not it, it almost seems like he wants to fix her in some way but maybe she doesn't feel as though she needs... I don't know. Maybe I'm looking too much into it, but there's definitely, like, this idea that, you know, maybe even just, like, we think... I felt like watching it, like, oh, there's this expectation that I should want her to eventually settle down somewhere. But maybe the whole point is she definitely doesn't want to. I think, for me, it was more of the fact that, like, I think we as an audience ultimately want her not to settle down somewhere, but to, like settle down with someone and i think whether it's we're going to talk about this later the score which i think sounds overtly <laughs> like overtly like very sad and very lonely when i think francis mcdormand Fern is probably content i think pushes that um and i just i guess that's just there to add the tension but i think yeah specifically with fern and I think I think he goes by Dave in the movie. Dave, yep. With Fern and Dave, um, I think it's more that we think she like we can sense that there's like melancholy loneliness there. I think Brian Tallarico from Roger Ebert mentioned like you can all like even as she's content, the movie always has this feeling of being of this like of like how lonely the way of life can be. I think is his quote, and I think um, Dave represents an escape for that. And I think at least before he settles down with his family, like it seems like a solution where she doesn't have to choose. And suddenly when 
she does have to choose. It just makes the situation a lot more complex. Yeah. All right. Well, then let's let's quickly go over. Not quickly, but what were the the kind of lower points? You know, what are something you didn't like? The score. <laughs> I, it's funny. As as soon as the movie ended, I think Eric might have been the first one to bring it up. He might brought it up to me, and then eventually Caleb or some way around that. But we all kind of said the same thing, and maybe for different reasons. Um, Eric, I know you said you felt like it was just in there too much, right? Like you just felt like there, you wanted more silence or less? It was less. very obtrusive and it was very, I think as I said before, it was like, I think Fern in a lot of the scenes where the score is very sad is very content. Like, yeah. I, and I, it's all, it's also just like very flowery for the type of movie that this is. Um, yeah, I was going to say that I didn't feel as though there was too much, but I mean, maybe these go hand in hand. I... I just felt like the score was wrong. Like, not, maybe that's not fair to say. I don't know. Maybe that's not fair to say, but I just felt like it. It's not like it didn't fit the vibe. It's just like. It didn't fit the vibe. <laughs> it didn't fit the vibe. Yeah. I, it, it just didn't. It, I don't know. It just didn't make me feel. Too melodic. I feel like if that movie. To, I'm going to be 100% honest here. If that movie had a better score, I would give it five stars. I mean, I'm 100 percent honest. I think that's, I what, like, that's what I'm saying. Wow. With parts of the score, um, there's one really simple like theme that comes up a lot near the like in the, the second half that I like. I I wish I could play it, but um, keep that theme. Do 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 do. I don't remember if you're right. <laughs> it's like very slow. It's very simple. Keep that one. Nix the rest of it, just sprinkle that in in a couple more places, and you probably have a much better score. Yeah. Yeah. In itself, the music is fine. It's good. Um, just inappropriate for this movie. It just doesn't feel like it belongs <laughs> in this movie. And that is a, a big problem. And sadly, ultimately, that probably comes down to, to Zhao. And, you know, she, she has to, you know, communicate with, with the composer and and you know sign off on that so i think that was yeah. the one big directorial misstep yeah that's in the movie i think she like yeah did the writer have a score i was th- like the writer really did not have much of a score did it uh it's it's been a while for me it sounds like but I, I don't... it's mostly white noise if i remember correctly i i think you know or guess atmosphere. I, I think we've said pretty much everything we can about the score. I guess I'll just say before we other things um, that you guys didn't necessarily like. I will say that I guess for me, a good score always makes me feel more immersed in the movie, and a bad score takes me out, and this score just took me out. Like there, when I heard it, there was just times where I, I just I, I felt a little disconnect, and ultimately, while it may work for us for others, it did not work for me. So yeah, when it gets really like really melodic. And it goes like it's like going real hard. It's a lot. <laughs> it's, it's it's sort of cringe. Like it's it's cringy, um, especially like, um, like it really it really it doesn't ruin it doesn't ruin it, but it like really lessens my appreciation for some of the beautiful tracking shots. Mm-hmm. Um, when the score is kind of all over noticeable. the place in the it the, yeah. Not complimentary. Yeah. 
So overall, as you can see, the three of us, you know, we don't have a uh, dissenting opinion like Kari last week. But uh, the <laughs> maybe we have maybe Kari we, one time to maybe we just her. don't have empathy for the music. Um, but someone made that music, Caleb. Someone spent time and effort making that music. Do you not have empathy? I do. Um, I do. I do. I all right. Do. All right. Before uh, we're get almost time to wrap up uh, in a little bit. So let's see. Was there anything else that kind of stuck out to you as just being something? You didn't really like, or you could have done without, or I don't know. Uh, Caleb, I'll start with you. Uh, it's not one particular thing or one you know scene I can I can point to. I guess this this is just my. I guess in essence, this will be my my conclusion here because this is the big disconnect that I experienced. Um, was. The overall style. I think this hits pretty solidly the style of the modern indie, which uh, strays from traditional structure, uh, is often plotless or near plotless, which tries to limit drama, I think, or the traditional conception of cinematic drama tries to eschew that as much as possible and certainly eliminate any obvious melodrama. Uh, it's, you know, very focused on the characters and the dialogue is not even realistic dialogue in the sense that I think most people appreciate the term realistic dialogue. I think it's I used this word earlier, hyper-realistic, and it really is just super trying to latch on to a completely natural take of the world. And as far as the modern indie formula goes, I'm not the biggest fan. Uh, I just kind of have a, a, a general allergy to it as far as my uh, emotional reaction goes. I'm just, you know, I can, I can feel individual scenes, I think, but uh, on a total scale, movies in this ilk don't leave a, the lasting impact that I hope for in a movie. So, so just to... To, to broaden this a little, uh, some, some recent movies that I feel hit this uh, idea of the modern indie are uh, The Farewell, which you know I liked, I appreciated, and yet was still left kind of cold, uh, cold at the end. And uh, one that the three of us saw... Never, rarely, sometimes, mm-hmm. always. Never, I was just thinking Yeah, that. never, rarely, sometimes, always, which... At times, to me, didn't even feel like a movie. Just like a collection of of recordings, because it was so, you know, it's like they took they stuck a syringe in it to to take all the drama and just, you know, sucked all the the drama out of it, and you know, you weren't left with what, you know, you typically feel is is a movie. Uh, so. In, in the indies, I generally prefer, you know, stuff with, with more drama, not necessarily melodrama. Usually more dialogue is just my style. A uh, recent movie that, you know, I, I feel has some, uh, 
you know that that fits in indie formula but is you know more appealing to me is marriage story uh, i thought that had a nice blend of you know a naturalistic approach as well as you know drama that really hit home and affected me beyond individual scenes uh, and this movie reminded me a lot of the florida project if the florida project Again, I'm using the word drama a lot, but I feel like Florida Project just had more charge in it, more drama, while still being realistic, but again, not as hyper, hyper realistic that it feels almost sanitized of drama, intentionally so. So I tend to to favor a little more uh, dramatic energy. And again, you know, that's just my 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 preference but because of that i don't feel like i took away uh, a great lasting emotionally potent feeling that i could understand was there the uh, the intention of which uh i felt but you know sadly it just didn't uh hit all the way home for me i think i agree and disagree um, I think I really appreciate Zhao's just like rigorous, just um, this rigorous just committal to being naturalistic. Um, and I think that she does try to offset a lot of how hyper real it is with sort of the visual style. Um, I think it's less pronounced here than in something like The Rider. But I think it's still there. But I also think this is just a much more nuanced movie than something like Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, which that movie does not need to be nuanced. But um, I think in this case, I think the emotional nuance of it, I think, offsets the... Uh, and the, a lot, the I think just the tension from the authenticity of how that like partially documentary does offset how... I do agree, um, like, uh, intentionally undramatic it can be. Um, I think in terms of downsides for me, it just, like, I really still feel like the magic in this movie is the documentary melding with the fiction. And um, when it does get more overtly literary, sometimes in the romantic subplot, sometimes like and i guess that scene with the cigarette um like I, I can appreciate that it's there but it it just does less for me i i zoned out a bit during those moments um i i, I guess those are my major my major complaints um yeah i don't know i'm trying to think about how well this follows the modern indie formula i i can see what you're saying though I, I, I understand what you're feeling. All right. Well, I actually, I mean, because I kind of want to say something, which is not, uh, obviously I disagree with Caleb, but I, I don't think it's, and I'm going to say in a minute why it's not like a normal disagreement. Um, but yeah, let's give our kind of our, our final opinions. I guess I'll start uh, just to continue the conversation on that. Um, I, I do think on one hand, I think you almost basically did say, you know, you said, that just, you know, this is not your type of film and, um, I think that just comes down to personal preference. You know, at the end of the day, um, you know, we can debate how well 
of a docu-fiction movie this is. But uh, there's just obviously a level when it comes to anything film watching. It's just how you feel about it. And um, I guess what I realized is when you were when you were saying the two films that uh, you didn't particularly like, I was just interesting because I like went back and I was like, those happen to be two films I really did like. So there are much more egregious modern indie. Yeah, I, I don't think. Yeah, no, I I think I'm, I'm not saying Caleb and I would be opposites on all of those. Um, it's just interesting. It's just um, I think as I'm giving my final review here, I think this is just my type of film. Um, Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always was a four star for me, and The Farewell was my one of my favorite movies the last year. And it was a four and a half, and that's not saying Caleb is wrong for feeling the way he does. I don't think he feels insulted. Um, I hope not. But, not as insulted uh, <laughs> as last three. <laughs> um, it, for some reason, and uh, maybe I need to figure out do a you know like a psychological analysis on my mind. Uh, I love these types of movies. Um, I I don't know if I consider them this movie to be super similar to the farewell or never really sometimes always it definitely has some things that i liked more than never really sometimes always um and that's why um i'll go ahead and say i gave it four and a half stars it uh it's a movie that i i sat through it felt like a very real experience to me and i have this love for films that can make me kind of just get sucked into the atmosphere, sucked into what's going on and feel like I am just almost there. And, um, you know, so these these types of films, uh, they just do it for me, you know, and, and in a way that they do not for Caleb. And uh, either way, I guess I'll just end by saying uh, I really enjoyed uh, the acting in this film, the directing. I, I, I enjoyed the emotion it elicited. And overall, um, it's... It's got to be my favorite movie of the year so far. So, Wow. I was just thinking. Like, I was about to say, I was going to look through my movies and see, like, what other, like, <laughs> cookie-cutter indie, like, modern indie movies are there. And I, I don't want to, like, piss people off. <laughs> the, all, like, the big one that started, like, Roma. Yeah. I actually and haven't I seen not, it. Roma. I like, like, and Roma. I, I, yeah. Um, I like this movie much better than Roma. Are you um, saying I would? Uh, are you saying I would probably enjoy Roma? I think you would. Yeah. Yeah. Just now that that way we, you know, I think we know a little bit of where my taste. Um, so. but <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think I really appreciate and respect what Zhao is doing in this movie, and there are a lot of moments that I really enjoy, especially of Fern talking and conversing with um, all of the nomads, as well as her like exploring the US but there was i think a disconnect for me like uh, overall um whether it was because of where it turns the literary or the score i think there was a disconnect there um i think Jao's best is yet to come i do prefer the writer over this precisely because i think it's more rigorously unsentimental in and more rigorously committed to being like docufiction and i think i just live for that tension um and i also think but um yeah but i really like Zhao. i really like the like cinematic lineage she comes from that's like all like directors i love i'm excited to see what she does next but i think i'm gonna give this three and a half it is right now sitting at my third favorite movie of the year so I have a question before Caleb does. So Eric, 
When I looked yesterday, it was four stars. So I'm just interested. What did something change? Are you were you were you undecided or, you know? Yeah, I've been undecided. Ratings are always variable the first couple. It's true. It's true. I'll be honest. I I think if we went back and looked listen to every podcast, I think more than half of my reviews from them have changed. I think there was a time I literally changed one like the next day. (laughs) I'm like fairly stable with my ratings these days, but yeah, I mean, I. The rating's not everything. I really Honestly, like the writer. Um, three and a half is a great score. I really like. I really appreciate it. Uh, fuck, I said the writer. I mean Nomadland. <laughs> also, I just swore. I'm sorry. Um, uh, but yeah, like, I'm excited. I guess I'm. I. I mean, The Eternals is my most anticipated Marvel movie simply because of her. Yeah, um, I don't know. But I'm excited to see what she does next. Um, I think she's a very, very empathetic director. I think she's a very humanistic director. And, and I think she's doing things that no one else is doing, especially in illuminating these American stories that have essentially been submerged that we like never hear about. I think she's very important. I think she's very good. I think she's very like good formally. And yeah, I, I love Chloe Zhao. Um, yeah. Right, uh, Eric. Going back to what you said before uh, about the visual style uh, offsetting a lot of the, I don't want to say mundanity, but uh, a lot of the intentional undramatization. I completely agree, and I did recognize that when I was watching, and it just wasn't enough of an offset for my yeah. taste. I thought that too in this movie. Um. Which you know I'm I'm am sad about because there's a lot here and and I am a big fan of of most I'd say the the art house film is probably my favorite and it's just this new breed uh, of you know as I call it the modern indie those the really modern indie that like the past couple of years that I just ha- can't really connect with and that's why I thought. You know, 2018 was was one of the worst years for movies that that I could That's remember. That's just false. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I, I didn't give a single movie from 2018 four stars. Uh, 2019 only two movies I gave four stars. It's just something about what's coming out these days just doesn't appeal to me as much as you know older indies maybe that are super duper character focus more dialogue that I like. You know. The before trilogy, of course, is going to come to mind. Like that's obviously trying to be very realistic, um, but there is some kind of pure cinematic drama there. That it that it is dramatized. That I don't think you can just throw pure reality up on the screen and and expect it to make an impact. Uh, so I really like, as Eric likes the blend between you know documentary and and fiction. I really like the blend between realism and necessary cinematic drama and you know if i if i could make a change to this movie that's what uh i would add more of but uh overall we talked about uh how well Zhao did how mcdormand you know this is her movie she is the movie and um overall i i did enjoy it not as much as the rider uh as well uh, similar to eric um but yeah, I, I would 
definitely postulate that Zhao's best is in front of her. I'll leave it off with a quote that I liked from the movie. I didn't want my sailboat to be in the driveway when I died, and it's not. It's out here in the desert. <laughs> and with that, I gave Nomadland three stars. Yeah. I will say what you said about um, blending um, realism with dramatic tension, I think it's less, I think it's more, I think the problem with me in this movie is that it's more overtly done, whereas in the writer, it's more subtle choices that add dramatic tension. I guess I got to see the writer now. You told me I'd like it, so maybe I will like it even more. It's wonderful. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, actually, I think you probably would like it more than Nomadland, which yeah. would I don't know, these... which would mean something crazy for the old ratio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. It, uh, these movies just do it for me. I I think that that realism, almost. Yeah. Um, yeah. Chloe Zhao has a great video up on Criterion where she's talking about. Um, Terrence Malick's The New World and in it she discusses how growing up in China which is very much so not a religious country she never understood this idea of spirituality and when she came to the U.S. um, she really wanted to I think understand it and I think she said she personally started getting understanding based on the juxtaposition like between people's like connection to the earth and like this idea of um like not i like she i think she said um when she was out in the native american reservations she really the first spiritual thing she ever felt and the most spiritual ever she'd ever felt in her life was she thought it was very much so connected to like out in the heartland like these people's like ground really grounded connection to the earth and i think she, we can really see that in her movies just the juxtaposition between um how grounded her stories are and how like sort of irreverent her um camera work can be and i think her movies do give that sort of subjective experience of spirituality within that very realistic framework um and I really enjoy it. I think she said in another interview, I think it, I want to say it was in a TIFF, in a TIFF interview that in her movies, she never wants her movies to be, um, to be representations of groups like in songs my brother taught me or in the writer or in Nomadland. She never wants these nomads or Brady and his community or the Native American community that she highlights in Songs My Brother Taught Me um, to represent an entire group. She just wants the audience after after watching the movie to feel like they've really met and gotten to know real, like, complex individuals that they wouldn't have had the chance to get to know before. And I think regardless of how much, how any of us liked the movie, I think she's very successful in that. Yeah, I think she's going to be even more successful. And I, I'm, I'm excited yeah. to see more of her films in the future. I mean, I guess it's only her third, right? Third yes, I think so. feature film. Um, I'm very excited. Um, and, you know, I'm sure we'll be hopefully discussing another of her future movies uh, here on the podcast. Uh, the Eternals, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see about that. That'll be, Again, that's going to be interesting. But either way, uh, this has been, uh, a, I think, a good episode, uh, interesting talk. And... Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> Even though we had a few Glad extra minutes at or after our, uh, our ratings, uh, it's been fun. So uh, thanks for uh, listening, and we'll see you next time. We love to see you.